Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. Uh, this time it's me, Mackenzie, and I've got a guest, Christy Randazzo. Um, Christy is someone who I met through Micah and Friends of Jesus. Uh, they were in Philadelphia. And it turns out that they are also a nerd about Quaker stuff. Well, I guess you could say nerd. Um, it seems to be putting it a bit boldly. Um, I'm an academic, um, I, I guess by training. I was a, a, a youth minister for a long time in the Episcopal Church. And then I got the Quaker bug and uh, was convinced. And by that point, I decided I wanted to get involved in um, studying theology um, more seriously, I guess. Um, and I uh, got a master's in theology. Then I got a master's in uh, reconciliation and peace theology. Um, and then I just finished up my doctorate from the University of Birmingham um, in Quaker theology and wrote my dissertation and I've published in, I don't know, anything that anybody wants me to publish in. I've been like, sure, why not? I'll write on that topic. Uh, there just aren't that many sort of academically trained Quaker theologians out there. And um, the we are the few, the proud, and, you know, um, the the active, shall we speak, because uh, someone's got to write this stuff. So, yeah. And I still haven't actually gotten a chance to read your whole thesis, although you did let me see one chapter. Well, edit one chapter. Um, so we <laughs> talked about this time we wanted to chat about uh, – hybrid Quaker stuff or hyphenated Quakers. Uh, although I think we, we were also yes, giggling about yes, the yes. Uh, creative names that exist instead of using hyphens, like Quagans. Ah, uh, yes. For, for um, Quaker pagans, um, there's also uh, Quatheists for Quaker atheists or non-theists. Um, let's see here. I've heard uh, Quathlics. Uh, for Quaker Catholics, uh, Qu Quanglicans for Quaker Anglicans. There are a great number of those, of which I guess I would constitute uh, one of them. Um, yeah, at, at that point, you you sort of reach the level of the ridiculous. Um, there isn't really one for Quaker Jewish because Kruish doesn't really sound good. Um, Quaker Buddhist, crudist doesn't really work, so... It sort of falls apart after a while. So, you know, I was I was having dinner with some folks from Ohio Yearly Meeting, and I said the word Quagan. And now Ohio Yearly Meeting is very solidly, they are Christian and they are sure about it. And when they went, Quagan, what's that mean? Wait, I don't think I want to know what that means, do I? Don't tell me what it means. Okay, fine. Tell me what it means. And I said, it's pagan Quakers. And he said, I was right. I didn't want to know what that meant. And then the woman across from me said, well, what are they called Buddhist Quakers? Bakers? Yeah, actually, um, that is a really good question. I, I mean, it's there's a there's a wonderful, um, uh, I guess, analogy to um, the flexibility of Quakerism, um, you know, in how many people find ways of um, connecting spiritual traditions either in their past or um, spiritual traditions that they've um, 
uh, found meaningful in their life along with Quakerism, sort of finding ways of sort of mixing them. Um, and, you know, the analogy is, well, look at the name, Quaker. It's so flexible and we can do things like Quatheist. Um, and, of course, again, it sort of breaks down after a while. Um, but I could sort of extend that out and say that after a while, the flexibility starts to break down. Uh, there's only so many, um, so far you can push the, you know, what it means to be Quaker um, until you reach a point where maybe you actually aren't Quaker anymore. But that's another another oh. conversation entirely. But I know, I know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna start that, you know, can of worms. Um, but I, I'm trying to figure out what the equivalent Quaker version of them's fighting words are, given the whole not fighting thing. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, them's passive aggressive, um, frustrating words. Yeah. But no, I, I, I think that, you know, um, again, noting that Quakerism does have this inherent flexibility actually gives us a, um, a wider lens towards, um, you know, encompassing other traditions than I would say the vast majority of Christian denominations and traditions. I think that um, that flexibility allows us to encompass, um, you know, many other religious traditions and faiths that, um, and, and ways of expressing spirituality and, and a connection to something greater than ourselves, um, than many other, uh, traditions and, um, and, you know, sort of faith communities. So I don't think that it's awful to say that you, do eventually reach a point where maybe you aren't Quaker anymore. Um, you know, you can only push, um, you know, push something that's incredibly flexible to a point where it starts to fall apart. But I think that you can push us way farther than you can push a lot of other traditions. So, um, yeah, that's sort of my defense of that, I guess. <laughs> I've I've heard some friends, um, especially in the liberal tradition, say that the one solid absolute thing is that you have to be on board with the anti-war pacifism stuff. And so I, right. I, I could see I wonder, there being some, yeah. um, like, Sikhism has, as far as I understand, um, a requirement to... Um, to do defense of a third party to the point that Sikhs are required to carry a small knife and it's generally a little ceremonial thing barely bigger than a nail file that you know solid like that uh, satisfies the requirement but the idea of um, defend them by putting yourself in harm's way versus defend them by attacking the aggressor would be two different two things that would be kind of opposed, I suppose. Although at the same time, I, I think that, um, and this could also be opening all manner of cans of worms here. Um, but you know, you, you look at in history with like the free Quakers involved in the, uh, you know, around the time of the American revolution, um, there are, hang on, you should probably define that. Right. There, uh, uh, Quakers who, uh, during the American revolution, called themselves free Quakers who were, again, broadly speaking here, um, wanted to, uh, 
you know, get involved in the revolution, felt a, um, a moral, um, you know, compulsion to actually engage in the fighting um, for, um, I guess, the um, rebellion at that point against um, colonial rule. Though they did get disowned for it. And they made an argument <clears throat> around, um, you know, the idea of that the greater violence was caused by the, you know, the, the colonial rulers themselves um, by the British um, and that what they were doing was actually defending against um, a, uh, you know, against people who were trying to oppress them and trying, they were trying to protect people who were being harmed um, by this sort of, again, oppressive regime. And I think that kind of reflects the the fact that, you know, um, pacifism and the peace testimony in and of itself is a, you know, there isn't one sole, you know, um, defined way of actually how to express the peace testimony within Quakerism. Um, I mean, and throughout the centuries, we've kind of gone, you know, in a lot of different directions in that. Um, yeah, so I, I think that one of the... Um, one of the 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 challenges that uh, people find when they come into Quakerism from other traditions is the fact that um, you know their other tradition might have a a more um, uh, I guess codified sense of um, what things mean, um, whereas Quakerism has sort of generally. You know, even across the wide spectrum of Quakerism has um, really emphasized that you need to consistently return to um, that 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 inner voice, um, God, the light, you know, the in, inner light, inward light, the seed of Christ, something that connects you to something greater that sort of guides you um, and that through the community and then through your connection to the divine those two are sort of married in communion and um as a result through that dialogue you're discovering and discerning what's the right way to act and what's the right way to sort of be in that moment um which means that it you know some people think of it as a religion on you know like a, a personalized individualized religion but again that that forgets the community element um but it is a little bit more up to you um, than other traditions might be. Um, and that kind of allows for both flexibility, but it also um, requires a bit more engagement um, and wrestling with questions, I think. I was going to ask what you meant by engagement. Trying to figure it out. At its, at its core, trying to figure um, out what it means to be actually peaceful, um, trying to figure out what, um, what it means to be in your heart connected to um, a God, let's say, of peace or a, 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 um, a tradition which emphasizes universe. Yeah, the, the idea that there is a harmony within the universe which necessitates, um, you know, uh, peacemaking. Or something right um and i think that that the insistence on sort of trying to continuously 
you know, moment by moment figuring out um, what does it mean to be a peacemaker at, in this time, in this moment, requires you to constantly go back um, and engage in whether it be prayer, meditation, you know, both individually and communally. Um, it's that wrestling, I think, you know, at its core, which I think makes makes us, you know, unique. What what you know, if I'm going to say w- what is inherently Quaker, it is that wrestling. Um, and then you know you're, you're wrestling with what peacemaking is, with what you know simplicity is, with what the God, with, you know, what, who is God, who is Christ. If you're going to be more of a Christ-centered tradition, who actually is Christ? Um, all, all of this is something you know much more about the question of wrestling. Um, shifting somewhat, um, I thought we could talk about like what what aspects of Quakerism find um, easy parallels in other religions, or um, what practices like overlap that make it easier to do that hybridizing. Right. Um, I mean, there's the obvious uh, where um, if you're going to be looking at, let's say, um, an emphasis on peacemaking, um, you're going to find obvious connections with the other peace churches. You know, you're looking at the Mennonites and um, you're looking at, you know, um, in America, the Church of the Brethren, um, not like in, in Britain, they have the Plymouth Brethren. That's another thing entirely. But Oh, but they do have some overlap with us. The Plymouth Brethren also are in india they do have a similarity to us do you know that true true that is true and that's another whole podcast entirely (laughs) i Um, I have a friend in india who's a plymouth brethren well there we go um i i i think that i mean it's it's when you when you boil it down you you have these sort of um these core elements of what it makes you know what what does it mean to be a friend. And I think, you know, you have the question of peacemaking and that's going to, again, you know, it's going to connect us to, you know, the practice of peacemaking will be connecting us to, um, Buddhism and the emphasis on, on sort of, um, uh, being at peace with the world and connecting, um, you know, sort of aligning yourself so that you, um, you know, aren't sort of, um, it, w- it was simplicity would be a similar, you know, question with Buddhism where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not focusing on, um, you know, needing things, you know, um, that idea of getting rid mm-hmm. of want and desire, um, sort of has a connection, you know, to, um, to, to Buddhism. Um, but I think that when we get into that kind of a question, um, I think the obvious ones, are kind of obvious, but the ones that are, you know, sort of more interesting, I think are the ones that, you know, you don't expect. So like, for example, um, there's a, a tradition within um, sort of Zen Buddhism where your meditation is about completely cleansing your mind. Mm-hmm. And um, oddly enough, there's a guy named Thomas Keating, who is a Catholic um well, Catholic monk, who um, sort of looked at this sort of form of, you know, literally just emptying your mind and just being present in that space. Um, and he thought this is a great way of actually uh, sort of emphasizing the sort of, um, you know, uh, Catholic monk 
focus on sort of being, you know, emptied of everything and, and just being filled by God. So he had to add in the God part, obviously, to the Buddhist uh, meditation. But he created this idea of centering prayer. Okay. Where you're literally sort of emptying what's what's there and just sort of being present. And if something bubbles up, um, that that might be a, the voice of God. It might not be. But you're supposed to just sort of be present and allow, um, you know, God to inhabit you, you know, I, I, you know, or Jesus to inhabit you from sort of a, a Christian perspective. And that sounds really similar to, um, you know, the, the um, silent waiting worship where you are waiting and being present um, and simply um, trying to remove what's going on and just seeing what emerges. Um, and that's really kind of awesome and, and a weird kind of connection there. Um, that actually, I think, you know, again, you know, I, I was raised Roman Catholic and that really helped me, you know, because I was involved in a lot of meditative practices as a Roman Catholic and, and that really connected. So I, I think meditation and meditative practices are, are, are oftentimes a lot of ways people connect in. Um, so you get a lot of people who are involved in like Buddhism kind of connected there, a lot of sort of Christian meditation kind of um, connected there. Um, but Another weird connection you could find How's is that? like with Hinduism, you know, um, with the fact that, the, well, this idea that, uh, um, you know, God can, okay. or the divine has many avatars. Um, the divine has many faces. This sort of, you know, you can have all these different, you know, like, so, so, you know, you can conceivably, according to a Hindu mind, you could definitely be a Christian and be Hindu. That wouldn't bother them. Because Jesus would be one of the avatars. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is just an avatar. Um, and another way that God sort of uh, presents God's self. And that sort of idea of sort of openness, I think, again, from, from a more, I guess, liberal Quaker perspective, um, would actually kind of really work um, and would uh, allow some way in. Um, so I think a lot of it is, you know, we have our practices and that kind of draws people in. You know, there's the obvious, you know, people who, were involved in the, you know, peace movements and connected to Quakers and were like, Hey, these people sound cool. Um, but then, you know, um, and then they'll bring in their, their own traditions with them. They'll bring in their own belief and their own faith, um, sort of with them. Um, and sort of create more of this interesting melange, this sort of mixture. Um, but I think in the end, what it really boils down to is what's, um, what are the kind of practices and ideas that are sort of um, amenable to that? Uh, it, it really is about the question of um, we are both active and contemplative at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if you are from a tradition that, you know, um, has not emphasized contemplation and that makes you feel uncomfortable, that might be something that, is not going to really work well with you. Um, you know, and, and that might sort of be something that's not going to work to connect you in. But the, um, whenever we get involved in these kind of questions, you know, you also have to engage with the fact that, you know, what kind of Quakerism are we talking about? You know, are we talking about, you know, liberal Quakerism, the sort of silent waiting worship for an hour, you know, God can be any number of different things. Um, or are you talking about the sort of evangelical or even Pentecostal friends? Which our last episode we talked about, our last episode we talked about charismatic stuff 
and Quakers. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that whole history, that whole heritage there, um, you know, so, I mean, the idea of contemplativeness would not, I'm not saying that it's not in, 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 in presence. It's very much present, but it's not as overwhelmingly present as it is mm-hmm. in um, liberal friends. Um, so like, for example, you know, if you are, you know, there, there are people I know who've been very interested in evangelical friends because they sort of took this idea of, you know, um, they may have been Mennonite or they may have really, frankly, just read the Bible. And the fact that Jesus says, hey, blessed be peacemakers, you know, funny how that works. Um, and they wanted to take that seriously. So I think that would be a practice question. You know, they got involved in the practice of peacemaking and Quakerism and evangelical friends communities that drew them in, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that there's going to be um, an obvious way of um, sort of saying, OK, this is, you know, like this is the way that people are going to connect to Quakerism. Um, but there's so many people who get involved in Quakerism. Um, and one of the, the beauties and challenges of our tradition is that um, we've really opened it up, you know, to a certain extent. It's sort of like, you know, I mean, I, knowing your background in software, it's sort of like open source software in a lot of ways. Oh, I like open source. Well, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, it's this idea of like, there's so many different ways that you can, um, you can mess with the tradition um, there are certain mm-hmm. things that you have to stick with, you know, there's certain ways that the language, you know, has to sort of be used. Um, you know, there are actually certified things that you can't go past and, and, and sort of not really be Quaker. Again, I'm going to open myself up to all the slings and arrows, um, <laughs> and, and, and know that that's going to happen. Um, but I mean, even something obvious, like, you know, um, some, some of the, the, the rules that people just sort of pick up, like, okay, don't talk twice in meeting, you know, like it's, there are these things that we know, but we don't want to accept them as actual rules, even you though know, they are. Somebody, um, the clerk of Baltimore Yearly Meeting interim meeting, Marcy Satel, she told me that she was visiting a mm-hmm. meeting and she was like chatting with people afterward, like she was chatting with people, I don't know if it was before afterward, but somebody said, well, you know that feeling uh before the second time you speak in meeting and she was like no she's like well yeah you know because you you..." (laughs) and and the person explained that uh in her meeting it is customary basically that you speak once and that sort of sets the stage for your message but then god's going to give you the rest of the message later on in the meeting so you speak once and it might only be a couple of minutes and then toward the end of meeting you're going to speak again to complete that thought and i think i think that was in baltimore yearly meeting Um, too yeah i have heard that never wow okay all right um you know see this is the beauty about being like i I mean i i I call myself a quaker theologian um and it's such a tiny little tradition but i think you can really um you can really enjoy it and have fun with it and never get bored because you're always going to be like, okay, that's new. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> well, okay, but that isn't actually new because... No, um, new to me, that is. Okay, well, yes, new, new to you, but um, I know that you're... I'm, I'm 
sure that you are aware of Job Scott. Yes. Right? Yes. So Job Scott, when he spoke at um, Sudbury, Sunbury, whatever, somewhere in Pennsylvania, um, he spoke twice at that meeting. And this was back in the days when the meeting was several hours long. But he spoke for like four, 45 minutes first, and then later on in the meeting, he spoke for another 15 minutes. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, I, I, I think one of the, the, one of the beauties of our tradition and challenges of our tradition is that we have this amazingly rich history that um, we oftentimes forget when it's convenient. Um, so we have, you know, these, this experience of, you know, for example, of recorded ministers, you know, people who are, you know, that the, and, and we did it for, for, I mean, centuries years. and then, yeah. And like, you know, and, 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 you know, even look at our meetings, like the recorded ministers sat in, in the, you know, in the benches and, 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 and there aren't that many facing benches. Um, and it's sort of, it is a pretty sort of obvious, like, you know, these are the people, they're kind of elevated and we expect them to speak and people would come to meeting having thought about something ahead of time and may come feeling relatively prepared. Now it might emerge in different ways, you know, um, but they will have come and people they will have invited them to speak and they will stand and, and the expectation is they were going to say something. Um, and now that idea is anathema. Why would you come to meeting, you know, ready to say something? Um, and, and that, that switch is, it's, I mean, relatively new, mm-hmm. you know, if we want to look at sort of the, the sort of time, but that's become sort of a concrete expectation. You know, the idea of you only speak once in meeting. Well, I mean, it's, it it is a thing now, um, you know, but it's obviously not a thing across the entirety of, of, of the whole tradition, you know? And I think one of the, again, getting back to the whole concept of hybridization in, in Quakerism, um, we're always going to try to find, a place for us, mm-hmm. I think, when we look for a spiritual community. And I think that's the whole point. We want to feel connected. Um, and we want to bring a part of who we were and who we want to be to a community. So we're always going to bring all of our baggage with us. Um, and that baggage is going to inform how we engage with the community and because, you know, Quakerism is an individual within a community and a community being, you know, informed by the individual and this whole dialogue, the community will shift and the individual will shift. Um, and because we are really kind of a really diverse, crazily diverse world, we have a lot of different ideas out there that come in. Um, I mean, one of the challenges, of course, of, um, uh, you know, of opening us ourselves up after quietism is that it was like wow the world had shifted so much you know and we had all these new ideas coming in and we kind of pinballed back and forth between this and this and this and this and you know one of the the beauties that we that we have is that we sort of came down to the conclusion of okay what does it mean to be quaker we are practicing we are contemplating and within that Within that, that sort of dialogue between those two entities, those two core you know, ways of being, we kind of are opening up um, sort of life, what it means to exist. It is to contemplate 
and then it is to act on that contemplation, then it is to contemplate about the action. And we go back and forth in this dialogue. So when we're looking at someone like, for example, Ham Sakong, you know, and I know I'm butchering, butchering his name. He's this uh, Korean Quaker okay. who um, did, uh, he was started off as, go ahead, sorry. It was, I, I couldn't parse what the name you said was and please email me what, or like, or like send me a message by text telling me what yeah. the name is so that I can like get it correct when I'm typing up the show notes. But when you said it at first, it just made me think of the last name Sarkonin that shows up in Dune. Oh, <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I am totally butchering it. it. It's Ham and then S-O-K-H-O-E-N, but then we're also talking about English, English version, Anglicized versions of of Korean, which is never accurate. And anyway, so, but, you know, Ham Sarkhan was um, in the 1900s, in the, in the 20th century, he was a, um, uh, a Korean Quaker who was involved heavily in the reunification movement okay. to try to bring um, North and South Korea back together again. And um, he's this post-colonial um, hybrid Buddhist Christian, um, you know, Quaker uh, who kind of created his whole Quakerism, his whole vision of the world because he met Howard Brenton um, and, you know, started reading some stuff and was like, okay, I guess I'm a Quaker. And then created this whole way of thinking about Quakerism and this whole sort of tradition in Korea, you know, sort of Korean Quakerism has sort of really been, in, you know, impacted deeply by um, Ham Sarkon's sort of attempt to make sense of what it means, you know, and what it meant in the 1900s to be a peacemaker in the midst of an oppressive society with, you know, um, Japan oppressing um, Korea and then everything that happened with the war and everything else after that. Um, and then with this whole mix between a strong sort of um, Presbyterian, particularly uh, uh, missionary involvement in Korea with a, you know, the sort of centuries, millennium of um, uh, Buddhist tradition within the country. So already you have the Presbyterian Christianity and then the Buddhism coming in there. And then you've got the Japanese sort of, um, sort of colonial elements coming in there. And it's, it's, it's all sort of coming into this mix. And then he's trying to make sense of all of it. And creating this whole Quakerism out of like all of the whole the whole thing and this beautiful thing, this beautiful theology um, that kind of brings it all together. Hmm. I had no idea that there were Quakers in Korea at all. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole meeting in in, in Seoul, um, and hmm. I, I think there's like uh, several other meetings throughout the rest of the country. I'm not as knowledgeable about that, but I know that there's at least a, um, a meeting in Seoul. Already. Um, something that I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about um, Buddhist meditation and the Catholic monk contemplation thing was I thought of two practices I've heard of from Catholics that um, seem to mesh well with Quakers. One of them was at a Friends of Jesus thing. We did Lectio Divina. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for anybody who is not familiar with that, because I just said something in Latin, um, it's reading um, a passage from the Bible and contemplating that passage and then like reading it again. And we did it with different translations each reading. 
Um, so that was one thing that I thought of as like, it's a Catholic practice, but it works really well for Quakers. And the other one was, um, I think you said that at some point you, you used to be, a, well, you didn't say it on this episode, but you told me before that you used to be a Franciscan. And um, I know that's not the same thing as Jesuit. Don't worry, I'm not about to make that, that mistake. <laughs> no, that would be awful. <laughs> but I remember hearing about um, Ignatian, like, this like Ignatian way of reading the Bible where you're putting yourself in the shoes of somebody in the story. And it really reminded me of um, mm. like what I have read of, well, like, you know, that I, I read a book called face to face by T. Bill Palmer Jr. Where he talks about how early friends were like putting themselves yeah. in the shoes of people in the Bible and like looking at the world from that perspective. And so when I heard about that, like Ignatian thing of, imagine yourself in the story it made me think of that yeah i mean and that that sort of idea of being truly empathetic um actually being um present with somebody as they as they are engaged in in a in a faith journey um i mean we are a narrative theological tradition um quakerism you know we emphasize um, the, this, the telling of narrative and the reading of narrative, um, you know, we, we place high value on John Woolman's journal, on Margaret Fowler's journal, mm-hmm. on all these journals from early, um, Quaker women. Uh, we read, um, you know, I mean, even faith and practice when we talk about sort of, um, you know, so much of the extracts from faith and practices across Quakerdom, are um, you know either from people's you know stories, from people's narratives, um, people's sort of perspectives on things, um, you know from their writings and their um, the stories they tell in meeting, you know the uh, the the testimony they give, um, and I, I think the idea of um, sort of being very empathetically p- placing yourself within you know, the scripture. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, I think that conceivably, um, one can, if, if you're really open to it and I'm not saying you, you know, stretch too far, you can find, um, connections between much of what Quakerism, you know, is engaged with and your, your previous tradition. I mean, you could even say that, for example, the idea of like a lot of people, oddly enough, uh, who are Roman Catholic find a lot of connection with Quakerism um, because of the emphasis on sort of um, beauty and silence and um, presence. Um, the idea of sort of being um, there's this moment right after the uh, the Eucharist in a Roman Catholic service, and, and other traditions have this as well. But you know, I think when I was Roman Catholic, I, I found it really prominent, and and there's just this moment where everyone just sort of sits down and just sort of sits there and no one moves until the priest stands up and says, okay, let's have the, you know, um, the final prayers. And I remember as a kid, you know, the, uh, the priest would just sit there and, you know, a a good two minutes 
which granted, you know, as a Quaker now, you know, two minutes of silence, that's nothing. But if you know anything about a Catholic service, it's active all the time. There's people getting up and moving and you're, you know, you're, you're stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Exactly. Exactly. You know, kneeling and sitting and, moving, you know, walking and, but that, 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 that break, that, that space is, you know, sort of emphasized and the idea of silence having value, I think is, um, you know, is a great connection. Um, and it, it, it's not, it's not something you'd think of automatically, but it's like these things that you, you know, like the smells of your childhood, you don't really think about. And then suddenly like you smell something and it just smacks you in the face. Like, Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed by the connection. And I hadn't made it before, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what, what happens with people get involved in Quaker practice and, you know, Quaker worship is that we have these little things that, um, people find, um, connection to, um, and I think in part also because they really want to. Uh, we have a lot of people coming from different traditions and, you know, people want to find um, home in Quakerism. And they're striving to be connected. So they'll, they'll, they'll see things within our, um, our practice and theology and, you know, um, con- contemplativeness that um others might not see but they have the eyes to see it because that's you know they're 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 looking for it you know they're looking for connection they're looking for home okay well um i think that's about time so thank you for coming on the show this week very last notice as it was or last minute notice as it was (laughs) (laughs) um and i hope i get to see you again soon absolutely and thank you very much for inviting me and um I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I think that you, uh, uh, one of the challenges of getting an academic on is that they tend to, um, <laughs> just kind of ramble, um, on for a very long time. And, uh, you know, hopefully I said something that was, uh, interesting to somebody. <laughs> well, I've known you for about a year and a half, so I've kind of gotten used to the rambling. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes. Thank you.